I finished this book that I started reading, and it was called Not the End But the Road, and it was by Gary Thomas. And it's a book where he outlines several different virtues that we must have to, you know, increase our walk with Christ. And today I'm going to put out like five of them that hit me the hardest. And it's a trip when you start reading stuff like that when your heart is really open. Because then he, you know, you pray and say, oh, Lord, help me with this virtue. Let me get it. And he always finds a way to put it in your path just to see if you was really telling the truth when you prayed about it or you were just reading that book and it sounded like a good thing to do at the end. And it was amazing because every virtue I finished reading, somehow it was a little test to see if I really wanted the virtue. And, you know, some of them I was like, I got to get back to you on that because I thought I was ready to walk in that, but I wasn't quite ready. But when he wants to impart something to you, he always plans it out. Like we don't see the plan, but he's got a plan working underneath. And, you know, the things that are going to transform us for forever, the things that happen in your life that you'll say, I'll never be the same again, those things he really puts work into to make sure you're ready to take on the task that he's about to give you. For me personally, I need to really see my, my fault and my sin and my failures in my face so that I can embrace that I am that wicked and then turn away from it. Like just reading about it is not enough for me. I need him to show me something that I'm just cutting the fool. And then he'd be like, see, that is you and you are ugly. You know, but when I see that, then it gives me more you know, push to say, I really got to get rid of that. Cause you know, we like to think nicely of ourselves and we can just say, oh yeah, I am this, or I'm a little this, but not really embracing what we really are. So sometimes he has to show you just how ugly you are so that you can make a choice to go his way. It's not always nice and pretty, but it is, it does work. So my lesson today is we're gonna examine five virtues and how much we really need these in order to stay in the will and the plan of God. Without these, we will never stay in step with God. A lot of this is kind of instructional, but at the end, I was so encouraged. I was a little shocked I was that encouraged. Um, so you may get beat up a little bit in the beginning, but it comes out nicely at the end. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna go to Ecclesiastes 3. One through eight. And what I'm really dealing with is in the waiting, the in-between time, the time between that you're just in kind of a little stinky spot. And that's generally when we lose faith. That's when we get led away to sin. That's when our lives start looking really raggedy. It's just in the in-between. Um, so Ecclesiastes 3, and my uh, translations change up throughout this lesson, so if it reads a little different, then you forgive me. Um, it says, there is an opportune time to do things, a right time for everything on the earth, a right time for birth and another for death, a right time to plant and another to reap, a right time to kill and another to heal, a right time to destroy and another to construct, a right time to cry and another to laugh, a right time to lament and another to cheer, a right time to make love and another to abstain, a right time to embrace and another to part, a right time to search and another to count your losses, a right time to hold on and another to let go, 
A right time to rip out and another to mend. A right time to shut up and another to speak up. A right time to love and another to hate. A right time to wage war and another to make peace. And if you drop down to verse 14, it says, I've also concluded that whatever God does, that's the way it's going to be always. No addition, no subtraction. God's done it and that's it. That's so we'll quit asking questions and simply worship in holy fear. So we must learn to accept whatever season we are in. No one wants to be in the season of death and crying, being torn apart, but these seasons must come and the best thing we can do is embrace the waiting for the season to change. But you must stay close to God's heart to hear when he tells you that the season has changed. I've had a recent season change myself and the realization that I had been in my winter clothes for so long that I did not realize it was summer and I needed to strip some stuff off. And immediately, because I'm quite cerebral at times, a little too much, but my first thing was starting to question where I had just been. Like maybe I wasn't in the right place. Maybe I did do things wrong or maybe I didn't hear you. And whenever you go into that, you then are questioning what God had already set up for your life. When you were in that season, he did something for you there. You don't have to discount where you were because you're somewhere different now. It's okay for the season to change and it can change in just a day. So that happens a lot of times in our life. Like God will give you a revelation that it's over. Move on to the next thing. And it's a trip that especially if you've been in a season of, of the ugly stuff, of the death and being torn apart and having to hate and all of that kind of stuff, it's sometimes hard to shake that to go into a better season. Because while you were in there, you let some stuff build up in you that you didn't even maybe know was built up in you, but that was actually pulling you away from Christ when in that season you were supposed to get closer to Christ. But because we question where we are and we don't trust and we don't have faith, then I'm fighting the whole time in my season and I never learned the lesson. So then I've got to somehow go back and repeat that doggone season that I've been trying to get away from later on in life maybe, but you got to repeat it again because you missed it. So it's got to come back to you again. So that's why the focus has to be that while we're in that waiting period for whatever circumstances we have that we want to change, we've got to stay there and find a way to endure that, but endure it with God, not away from God. Every time we try to guess and peer into the future, and we allow ourselves to get anxiety, we immediately step out the will of God. Because he told us not to take any thought for tomorrow. And that's not don't plan, like get yourself a career and all that. That's you not having anxiety about what tomorrow will bring. And he showed me that you're acting like Eve and Satan wanted to be like me trying to figure out the future by your limited knowledge. And you know, we have pushed ourselves all the way up until 10 years from now, 
And we have so much anxiety and fear about going on to the next place in our life, and that's not for us to do. We are to walk in this day and trust that God has what he has for us, and he's going to take care of us, and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. So the moment you let anxiety and all that flare up in you, you are simply saying, God, you're a liar. You cannot comfort me. What you said is a bunch of mess. Now, we don't ever verbally say that to the good Jesus because we would be afraid. But our actions and our attitudes is what we're saying. Because what we're trying to do often is step into God's domain and be all-knowing. Like, we don't like the fact that we don't know. It's the one thing in this walk that's most irritating is that he rarely privies us to anything. Just stuff happens, and you're just like, are you serious? And then I'm not supposed to even get a little nervous, you know what I mean? I'm supposed to just lay down and say, okay, Jesus, whatever you want to do, I'm going to take it, and that's just going where I'm going to be. It's hard to do that. It's hard. And, you know, we try to put on the face of, you know, like everything is okay, and we try to put on the face that, you know, we're content and we make up slogans and we say little cliches to make us feel close to Jesus, but deep in our hearts, we're very far from him because we're riddled with anxiety and fear. And you know, it's like for people that are, are you know, Christian people, it's very hard for us to admit the very thing that we don't have faith. It's very hard to admit that I don't trust God because this almost sounds like you're a hypocrite. Because you're professing this Jesus and that you love him and you care about him and you're supposed to be trying to walk with him. But the very core of who he is, you don't believe in. But where do we get to scream that out at? Because, you know, then you hurriedly get hushed and folks hurriedly tell you to stop it. You know, because we're afraid that if I say that out loud, somehow God's going to strike me down. But he doesn't quite strike us down. Now, he may gently tap us and tell us we're wrong. But the striking down rarely happens because he likes the conversation. He likes to show you who he is. So whenever you have a question, you should ask. Whenever you are in a bad spot, you need to talk to him that much more and tell him exactly where you are instead of trying to cover it with a bunch of cliches and sounding good speech. So this leads to the five virtues that I'm going to talk about. And... Uh, the first one is humility, repentance, surrender, patience, and discernment. So humility is not thinking more highly of yourself than you should. Humility can also be a spirit of willingness and obedience and a lack of resistance to God's dealing with us. Because a lot of times God is dealing with us and we fight him the whole way. So humility says, I surrender to whatever you're doing to me. I think we have an issue with humility because we're always trying to prove that we are worthy and of value. You know, we've been so jacked up with the way we've been raised and stuff and folks didn't put us down and then we get good and grown and we like, we ain't gonna let that happen to us no more. So it's like we're always constantly fighting and pushing our way and saying, see me and I'm okay that we do the same thing when we come towards God. 
It's like, so when he's trying to pull something out of us and he's telling you the very core of you that you have held on to and believed it is you, and he's trying to take that away from you and give you something different, we tend to fight him very hard because what we believe has kept us safe is often the very thing he wants to strip from us because he doesn't want you to rely on your defense mechanisms anymore. He wants you to rely on him. And it is very hard to let go of what has kept us safe up till now. It's a battle. It's a struggle. It's not easy stuff. It's easy to dress the part. It's easy to talk the part. And it's even easy to give up a couple of sins. The behavioral ones. We, we can let go of a couple of them. You don't even really need Jesus to let go of some stuff. Folks stop doing all kinds of stuff all the time because stuff happens in their life. Uh, but that deep stuff. That changing who you are, the transforming you to where your thoughts were, are no longer the thoughts you used to have. The way you think of yourself, the way you view the world has changed. That's the deepness he wants. And letting go of that, of who I believe I am, and taking on who he wants me to be, that new creation stuff, that's some hard stuff. So oftentimes we can be in this for years, 15, 20, 30 years, and we have not really changed. We've cut out some stuff. We dress a little different. Our, our vernacular is a little different, but we have not really changed. I still think of life the way I've always thought of it. I still have my hangups. I still have my attitudes. Everything about me is the same. The only thing that has changed is the outward man. We must begin to de-appreciate our wisdom and ourselves and take on the knowledge that God is all in all. Because, you know, we think we're pretty smart. Nobody's walking around calling themselves a dummy. But we've got to say, you know, I'm not that bright. Not compare it to God. He has to know more than I know. And this has been a huge struggle for me, if I should put my stuff out there, because I've lived in my head. Like, if I can analyze it, come to a good conclusion, figure it out, weigh all the options, I'm pretty much so set that this can work. It can comfort me. It gives me peace. It makes me feel like everything is okay because I formulated it. And he had to snatch that from me. He told, I have to, you have to give up your thoughts to me. It sounds easy to do. It sounds like, oh, okay, I can do that. That's some hard stuff. Because that's what has kept me in a nice, secure spot. So now I have to say I can't trust everything I think, everything that I have analyzed and believed. <sighs> so humility is the habitual frame of mind of, that a child of God has to have. It is that you feel you not only owe all your natural talents and gifts to God, but that you have been the object of undeserved redeeming love and you regard yourself as being not your own, but God's in Christ. You cannot exalt yourself for you know that you have nothing of yourself. The humble mind is thus at the root of all the other graces and virtues. Self-exaltation spoils everything. There can be no real love without humility. So let's look at some scriptures just to add my points. 
Proverbs 18 and 12. Pride first, then the crash. But humility is the precursor to honor. Proverbs 15, 32 and 33. It says an undisciplined, self-willed life is puny. An obedient, God-willed life is spacious. Fear of God is a school in skilled living. First you learn humility, then you experience glory. In Proverbs 29 and 23, pride lands you flat on your face. Humility prepares you for honors. And as I was thinking about this, I was like, we always want to see the glory of God and where he wants us. We want honor from God. And a good reason why many of us probably haven't gotten this is because we have no humility. Because he cannot give that to someone who is full of pride. Just can't do it. So we can, and remember, he's looking at the heart. Not just what you say, but who you are. So a lot of times we haven't humbled ourselves before God. So he cannot give us honor. He can't put his glory in front of us because we don't quite deserve it yet. Romans 1, no, that's 12 and 3. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. In 1 Peter 5 and 6, it says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation, all power to him forever. And a lot of times we jump to 10, but we have not done number three. The humbling. Humble yourself under the mighty power of God. Then all the rest of the stuff comes. And our lack of humility gives the devil more ground to be able to get us. Because the pride is what he loves. You're just working on his territory then. You know what I mean? You're, you're like him. Like he told me I was like even Satan trying to be all knowing like I'm so doggone smart. When you can truly believe and accept this scripture, because the scriptures, you know, so often we get comfy with just being able to quote them. But if you don't have faith and true belief in them, they mean nothing. You can't back up Satan. You can't get yourself in your mind feeling comforted if you don't believe it. If you don't believe it, just say, I don't believe it, though. Tell God, I don't believe this right here. That other scripture I could get. 
but this one I'm not quite embracing. Can you help me to embrace this? Instead of sitting here screaming and yelling that you believe. So when we can truly believe and accept the scriptures, we can then say like Paul in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He says, for I have learned to be satisfied with what I have. I know what it is to be in need and what it is to have more than enough. I have learned the secret so that anywhere at any time I am content, whether I am full or hungry, whether I have too much or too little. I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. You cannot say you're content until you believe the scriptures. Until you can really take on the fact that God is with you, you will always be shaky. You'll be shaky if you have a lot. And you'll be really shaky when you got nothing. The next one is repentance. Repentance is a turning to God with a complete change in the way we think and act. Not just act, but also how we think. We all know that we must repent in order to get initial salvation. And we're kind of cool with that. When God was leading us, when he convicted us and showed us that we need him and we needed initial salvation, um, when we heard that we, you know, need to repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, God fill you with the Holy Ghost, all of that wonderfulness, we were eager almost to go to that path. So repentance was something that we embraced. Somehow after salvation, we become quite arrogant and we don't keep a heart of repentance. It's like almost we get, well, I already got this. So it's almost wrong for me to have to repent for my stuff. And the only time we do a big show of repentance if it's something that, you know, folks have deemed to be the big sins. All that other little junk we do every day, we just let that stuff just slide on over because we like, I don't want to repent. And see, I think that was a huge ploy of Satan to get us prideful and ashamed of repentance. Like, I don't want people to know I got to repent. That's a shh. We kind of do it over in the corner. Lord Jesus, forgive me. I know I didn't mess up. But we don't never really repent out loud. And the reason why I started with humility is because you have to be humble to repent. A lot of times we don't repent because we just too prideful. We sometimes can stop some sinful acts that are against God, but the sinful thoughts and the attitudes we often keep in check. It takes constant self-examination to realize when you are out of God's will and then to ask him to forgive you and move back on his path. When you can pick up a heart of repentance where you don't think that God is there to punish you when you repent, that you see that God actually wants your sin. He is actually, is he calls it a, a sweet-smelling savior when you give your stuff to him. That's why he asked you to give all your stuff away. But we've made up in our mind that giving my sin to God, somehow that's when he's gonna attack me. That's my moment of weakness when that's really your moment of strength. When you can trust God to love you and to forgive you and to heal you for your sins and y'all keep in step, 
That's mean you really have gotten a relationship with God. I mean, that's like any relationship. If you've got to always be just perfect in order to get that person to love you, that's a hard way to live. Like if I can't be flawed and messed up with my husband, then what's the point? I should be able to be completely open and honest and transparent with him. And that's all my ugliness. It's the same thing with Christ. He wants all your ugliness so that he can make it better. He doesn't take anything from us. We have to give it. So I have a funky attitude. I've got to give it to God. If I have a problem with sinning, I've got to give it to God so that he can then take it from me and give me what he's capable of filling those holes with. But you never will get free and and clean and in the right standing until you can give it to him. That's what repentance is all about. Let's look at Isaiah 66 and 2. I have made all these things. That is why all these things have come into being, declares the Lord. I will pay attention to those who are humble and sorry for their sins and who tremble at my word. If you want God's attention, you must be humble and sorry. Isaiah 57 and 15. It says, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, the holy one says this, I live in that high and holy place where those with contrite, humble spirit dwell. And I refresh the humble and give new courage to those with repentant hearts. Sounds like God likes repentance. Psalms 51 and 17. My sacrifice, the sacrifice acceptable to God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, broken down with sorrow for sin, and humbly and thoroughly penitent. Such, O God, you will not despise. I so eagerly want you to embrace a heart of repentance, to remove the shame from being wrong and embarrassed. The fact is God wants your sin so he can give you salvation. And it's not just initial salvation he's trying to give us. He's trying to keep us saved so that we can make it in the end. Because that's his whole plan is really eternity. I know we're stuck here and now in this world, trying to get through each day, you know, trying to get our kids grown, off to living, trying to get our lives together. God is less concerned with all that as he is with our eternal home. And whenever we put God just here, we always miss the big picture because he's not really looking at this. Because remember for him, this is just like a minuscule little thing. If one day is a thousand years, our little lives are so small to him. As far as time, he's probably like, why are y'all tripping? There's really nothing. Just a little breath and y'all all all flustered. You know how much more I got for you? Just hold on. It's a ploy of Satan to keep us prideful and bound so that we cannot be free. Romans 2 and 4. It says, don't you realize how patient he is being with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see that he has been waiting all this time without punishing you to give you time to turn from your sins? 
His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And sometimes we think God is punishing us. Not quite. Could you imagine what his punishment would be for us? The stuff that we, you know, are trembling over and like, oh, my God, God got me. God, the creator of the universe that holds all things, don't you think if he dropped the hammer on you, you wouldn't be here? You would be completely destroyed. It's his kindness is leading you to repentance. He's just tapping you saying, but look, don't get caught up on that. I'm trying to get you with me. I didn't created this whole plan just to get you with me. Don't get stuck here. Keep moving forward. See me. When you see all this craziness happen, pray for me. Our prayers have been a little tainted. Like we're praying to get delivered. We're praying to get out of stuff. And I think what we need to start praying is God show me you in the midst of the storm. Don't let me see anything else but you. Open my eyes so that I know that it's just me and you walking this journey and you're going to take me through. I'm not going to even tell you what to do because obviously I don't know what's right. I'm saying get me out of this, but maybe I need to be in this if this is what you want me to be in. So maybe that prayer is, is wrong. Sometimes we have to let go of telling God what to do and how we want him to perform and just say, Lord, I trust your perfect will. So I'm going to let you handle this. Just give me enough strength and courage to walk this the way you want me to walk it. See, that's humility. And then it's constantly, oh, Lord, I didn't pick up fear again. Let me give it back to you. Oh, I didn't thought my way was right. I went the wrong way. Let me give it back to you. Oh, Lord, that looked really good for the moment. I needed just to please this flesh. Forgive me, Jesus. Let me get back to you. And as you keep going back to him, you'll see all those things become less and less effective at giving you joy and peace. So when you say, ah, I can give it to you, let me get back. The more you go back to him, the stronger he is the next time. The lesson gets harder each time or more, I should say, more pushed in your brain. Dang, God really is here. Wow, he didn't leave me on that one. Huh, maybe that is true. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Wow, because, you know, we done done some stuff. We done done some stuff. And he just sitting there with us like, okay. Is he happy? No, he's not. You're doing jumping jacks because you're out acting a fool. But he didn't leave. More than we can say for a lot of folks in our lives. We've done way less to them in comparison to the good Jesus. He didn't leave. No matter what. Because he said he can't leave. He's not a liar. So as you go on your little merry way, doing your little stuff, he's just walking with you. He don't stop and go sit at the house when you go cut the food. He sits there with you as you cut the food. So when you can keep in mind that Jesus is just sitting with you. So go ahead and do your stuff. He's there. It makes you just a little bit more uncomfortable. Oh, maybe. Good Lord, you're watching me. <laughs> Let me stop that right now. <sighs> Sometimes because we don't acknowledge the tap on the shoulder and the whisper that God sends first, he has to send a stronger warning to wake us up to see 
we do need him. All of this is to make us see we need God. All the stuff that's in your life, you need God. You keep getting different lessons because you keep thinking you don't really need them. And you know, the thing is, is that if I asked anybody, everybody would say, I need Jesus. None of us would be like, oh, I don't need no. I mean, that's why you're here, because you figure you need the Jesus. But something in our hearts and in our actions keeps telling God, that chick still don't think she need me. Not in everything. So oh, let me show you this. Darn it. And when you start seeing your stuff that way, the guy's just trying to show you that you need him. You get a little less irritating, a little less mad at God. Because we all been mad at God. We all been ready to, you know, if we could kick him in the shin. We don't want to say it out loud, but we've been angry. Because some of the stuff that didn't come our way was a little ugly. And you serious? This is what you're putting in my plate right now? And I'm supposed to think you just so lovely? See, all that stuff, he just get to say to Jesus. Go ahead. He may tell you to shut up, but at least you got it off your chest. And then he gave you a little lesson in, in return, and you get to move on with it. You know? Because sometimes you got to learn how far you can go. It's the same with any of us. You know, some people can take a whole lot. Some people, look, that just crossed the line. You got to know what your line is with Jesus. So I'm all for putting it all out there, and then he'll tap you and say, you didn't got carried away. That was a little too much information you just gave me. <laughs> so, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. He says, now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurts you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. So whenever your sorrow leads you to sin, know that that wasn't Jesus and you missed the point. Get back in the classroom so he can teach you again. But if you have godly sorrow, you need to be picking up some earnestness, some clearing of yourself, some indignation. You go back to Jesus and you can look back at what you've been through and you can say, but look what I got for it. That that wasn't the greatest circumstances that I just been through. And this was painful and it was ugly, but look what I got in exchange for it. A part of me has been changed. I will never see life the same way again. That's God. And that's why he says, in all things give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It is hard, but he's not telling you to be thankful for what happened. 
just while you're in it, you need to still be giving God thanks. You still need to be saying, but God, I know you're greater. I know that you can take me through this. I know that you're going to carry me. Not thank you for ruining my life, because that's what we feel like happened, right? <laughs> so I'm not saying thank you for this thing that happened. I'm saying thank you for being you, because you never change. My faith has to be strong enough to say, I know you got me. So then you don't lose your praise and you don't lose your thanksgiving in the midst of stuff because he don't want you to look at the ugliness. He wants you to look at him. That's why I said our prayer needs to change to let me just see you. Because all this ugliness around me is getting me off center. If I look at this, I'm about to act a fool. So let me just see you. Let me just, I'm not going to pray about this situation no more. You got it. It's yours to handle. Show me where I'm supposed to be. So 2 Peter 3, 9 through 10. It says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. The price we pay for eternal life, humility, repentance, living in, in, in God's way is such a small price. Christ has done all the work, but our arrogance tells us that we don't have to submit to God. And if he doesn't give me what I want and when I want it and how I want it, I will withhold my love, my faith, my repentance and my humility from him. I will make God pay for not giving me what I want. I realize that every time I challenge God with how things are supposed to be and how I want things to be written out, I am saying I am as much God as you are. I'm at your level and I can tell you what to do and how to do it. We, the arrogance that we have sometimes, it shocks myself. And we don't really put it in those terms. Like we don't think of us being mad at God because it didn't turn out the way I want as me saying, God, you should think like I think that your ways are not that great, I can come up with a different plan. That's me pulling God down to my level. I mean, goodness, who do we think we are? The third one, surrender. And in the book I was telling you guys about, the author wrote, the virtue of surrender reveals the purity of our heart's motivation. If we come to God to be amply provided for, yet we find ourselves poor, we will leave God. If we come to God to be made well, yet we find ourselves sick, we will leave him. If our motivation is simply to serve and please him and glorify the name of Jesus, no event in life can shake us, for God can be glorified in pain or in pleasure, wealth or poverty comfort 
or stress. The book says again, in all things, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So now I need to look at my heart and really examine what's my motivation for being with Christ. If I'm willing to withhold my praise and my faith and assurance because life circumstances are not to my liking, then that tells me that my motivations aren't pure. That I'm in this walk for my gain and not for God's glory. So whenever I lose faith and I get where I don't want to no longer give God his just due, then that tells me I really wasn't in this for the right reason. Because, you know, I think we come into Christ with believing we're going to get a bill of goods. He's going to bless me, take care of me. When you're witnessing to somebody to try to bring them to salvation, you generally just show them the good side. You generally say, look what God's going to do. You're going to get to heaven. He's going to be there for you. He's going to walk you through this. We rarely say that when you join up with Christ, life tends to get a little harder. Don't tell people that. So then we come in and we like shock because we like, what? What happened to the good living? And you think about where you were and you see other folks. Well, they getting along a little better than me. They don't seem to be all stressed. Life seems to be working out. Kind of got what they want. And I'm sitting here struggling with Jesus. Something about that just don't seem right. But that's, that's his way. Because when you walk with him, he's pulling that junk out of you. He's going to make it hard to see, do you really want me? You ain't about to be all extra happy. and I mean, you know, you got inner joy now. You got inner peace. But it take a minute to find that. Especially when you've been saved a long time and you filled your head up with the lies of what it was going to be. And then you add on a few stuff for yourself and you be twisting the scripture to make yourself feel good. And you do all that good stuff and you got cliches and songs and you just feed yourself all that stuff. So then when life kicks you, you like, but something is wrong with Jesus then. Because it, it's not me. It's something wrong with Jesus that he not doing what he said he was going to do. The problem is you misinterpreted who Jesus is. So now let's go back to the book and let's read the examples because he didn't put it all nice and clear for us. You know, and I tell you, there's one thing that I found out with doing these, how simple the word of God is. It is the most simplistic language that he uses, especially if you get another translation. King James, you can get a little confused because, you know, we don't talk like that. But if you get another translation that shows you just plain English, you really don't stumble. It really is quite clear what he tells. He tells you what he wants, how he likes it, what he is expecting of you, and what you're going to get in the end. He goes on to say the key to surrender is acceptance. At this, um, excuse me, at times this acceptance will come only after bitter struggle. See, like surrender is not easy. Surrender is very, very hard. You have to struggle to get to surrender. Because remember, that's pride. And everything else is holding on to it saying, 
don't you give all that up to Jesus. Wait a second. You can't see him. He ain't really right here. You get all that stuff in your head. It's a struggle to say, I'm going to lay it all out. I'm going to give Jesus everything I got, and I'm just going to trust you to handle it. That's some hard stuff. Guyan writes, sometimes you may bear the cross in weakness. At other times, you may bear the cross in strength. But whether in weakness or in strength, make sure you bear it. You don't have to be extra strong. Sometimes we're weak because we're just humans. You know, there's one scripture that says, I remember you from the dirt. That's what I see you as that. You think you're all strong and wonderful, but I see you as just a little piece of dirt that I breathed into. Don't get it twisted. Scripture tells us to pick up our cross and follow. Remember, even Jesus dropped the cross on his way to the cross. The key is picking it up and moving forward. Don't be afraid to call for help when your cross gets too heavy. Remember one of them disciples, I can't tell y'all which one, they helped him pick up that cross when he was too weak. Now, none of us is stronger than Christ. If he can get down to the ground because the cross got too heavy, Lord knows that we're going to have to hit the ground sometimes and call out for a little help. Nothing wrong with it. Don't mean you're not Christian. Don't mean you ain't saved. Don't mean you don't believe. It just means you're weak right now. And weakness is part of the human struggle. Don't discount the small battles. Because surrender is nothing you can achieve all at once. Never you can achieve. It can never be, oh, Lord, I'm giving it all up to you. I dedicate my life. And then all of a sudden you just gave it all to Jesus. Never works that way. It is a sometimes, as my good friend says, it is a day by day and sometimes it's a minute by minute. Sometimes you just, just stay in that minute. Did you make it through that one? You did. Go to the next minute. We can deal with life in small portions. Is when it gets the big ones that take us off the game. Faith and surrender are based on the notion that God's good purpose will be worked out whether I see earthly blessings or not. And that in the meantime, I can experience an interior peace that passes all understanding by adopting a childlike trust in God. Luke 14, 25. It says, Jesus turned and told them, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sister, yes, even one's own self cannot be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me cannot be my disciple. Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. That's the Message Bible translation. So much of surrender has to do with faith and trust in God's word. You must believe the promises of God without wavering that he just may be lying. 
Because when you doubt and lose faith, we're simply saying that God is a liar. You have to be able to read this word and believe the word or your walk with God has no solid foundation and you will always be in quicksand. Hebrews 6 and 17. It says, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our internal high priest. Now listen to this, and uh, this should make it a lot easier to surrender to God in John 6 and 35. It says, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The person who aligns with me hungers no more and thirsts no more ever. I have told you this explicitly because even though you have seen me in action, you don't really believe me. Every person the father gives me eventually comes running to me. And once that person is with me, I hold on and I don't let go. I came down from heaven not to follow my own whim, but to accomplish the will of the one who sent me. This is a nutshell, is that everything handed over to me by the Father will be completed, not a single detail missed. And at the wrap-up of time, I have everything and everyone put together upright and whole. This is what my Father wants, that anyone who sees the Son and trusts who he is and what he does and then aligns with him will enter real life, eternal life. My part is to put them on their feet alive and whole at the completion of time. The person who receives my doctrine and believes in me, this is a commentary, um, as the great atoning sacrifice She'll be perfectly satisfied and never more feel misery of mind. All the guilt of his sin shall be blotted out and his soul shall be purified unto God. And being enabled to love him with all his heart, he shall rest fully, supremely, and finally happy in God. But if you don't believe that you are God's, and he's not going to ever lose you and that he's going to set you up. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to sustain you. He's going to have you upright at the end of time for you to make it to heaven. None of this stuff works. It doesn't give you peace. It doesn't give you like a little quiver in your tummy. It's just words. And that's why this message doesn't work for people that don't have any faith. And that's why he says without faith. It's impossible to please me because this whole thing is built on faith. If you cannot muster up enough faith to believe these words as accurate and true and unbending, your walk with God is going to be very mediocre and very unsatisfying. 
And you'll always be questioning, why the heck am I in this? Number four is patience. And this one gives us probably the most problems. Most of our distress and unhappiness has to do with the waiting process. And the waiting is when we lose hope. And the waiting is when we lose faith and find sin more appealing. It is why we have need of patience. Hebrews 10 and 35. He says, so don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Can't receive all the promises if you can't patiently wait for them. Psalms 37 and 7. It says, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him to act. Don't be envious of evil men who prosper. Stop your anger. Turn off your wrath. Don't fret and worry. It only leads to harm. Verse 11. But all who humble themselves, back to humbling, before the Lord shall be given every blessing and shall have wonderful peace. Now we can read that and we still manage to find the anger and the wrath and the fretting and the harm. Colossians 1, 1 and 11. It says, we pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It is strength that endures the endurable and spills over into joy. Thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. And when our faith comes under pressure, which it always will, and the last thing we want to do is patiently wait, we're told in James 1 and 2. He says, dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy. For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything. Strong in character, full and complete. And we keep squirming out the problems is why we don't get strong in character. Because remember, God cares so much about your character, who you are, what you do. Not just, you know, just the little frivolous stuff that we be giving too much credence to. But who are you really when the times get rough and you up against the wall? What you going to do? You going to fall apart? You going to tuck tail and run? Are you going to get down and get some faith, build yourself up, and keep moving? And when that cross gets heavy, call in a friend. Let's pray together. Pump me up. Give me some scripture or something that I can hold on to to carry me through this night. Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, 
For we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient. We don't believe that, though. We don't believe our stuff is good for us. No, you know we don't. We not, this is not good for me. The word good would not come out our lips in describing some of the stuff we've been through. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. See, so your stuff is working to produce patience so that you can get strong and steady. Until finally you are strong. Maybe the stuff starts getting less when we get a little strength in us. And that's only because we start looking at it different. It's not that stuff doesn't still come. It's just we have a different view. We have a Christ-centered view instead of a me-centered view. It says, then when that happens, we are able to hold our heads high no matter what happens. And know that all is well. For we know how dearly God loves us. And we feel this warm love everywhere within us because God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Now, why aren't we just feeling full of love? Why is it when I go through this stuff, I, the, the first thing I think of is God doesn't love me anymore. God's out to get me. He's going to punish me. I mean, if you have the spirit, it is the spirit of love because God is love. And when you say that he's not in love with you because you're going through stuff, you're actually attacking the character of God. You were saying you're not love. It's not who you are. You're just a beast out to destroy me, trying to get me. That's a little mean thing to say about the good Jesus. And I say, Lord, help us to take these words into our spirit and to believe them without doubt. Like we've got to really fight to cast doubt out. Like we should no longer feel comfortable when doubt comes in. Like sometimes we get doubt and we just be sitting with it. And you can get a group of folks that will sit with some doubt. We can question the Jesus real good. He's not happy with this. He has to be a little hurt by the fact that all that he's done, we still don't quite trust him. All that he's been through, put through, I mean, worked out in our lives. He didn't got you out of some messes. He didn't done some stuff for you. He has worked over and over and over again, yet we don't believe. We have to believe that this word is the life-giving force that he created it to be. Because he is the word. So when we embrace the word, we're embracing him. When you reject the word, you're rejecting Christ. When the word doesn't bring you comfort, you're saying that you can't provide comfort. For we can't separate God from the word. And what has happened is we've gotten so comfy with the Bible that we know how to quote it, we know how to read it, but it does not provide us with comfort and the life-giving force he created it to do. 
just going back to the basics, John 1 and 1. This hit me when I was reading that. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. The Living Bible Translation I like. Before anything else existed, there was Christ. With God, he has always been alive and he is himself God. He created everything. There is nothing exists that he didn't make. Eternal life is in him. And this life gives light to all mankind. His life is the light that shines through the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. And this is why we need to know that the word, know the word, excuse me, and believe the word, because when we use it against Satan, he gets extinguished. But if you don't believe it, you can quote the Bible and it has no power. How can we separate God from his word? How can we belittle the words on the page? Because whenever you do that, you belittle God because he is his word. So when you say, I don't believe that scripture, I don't believe you, God. And this is why the devil has us belittle it. Because he knows that he's extinguished by it. So when we say, ah, don't give me the scripture. That doesn't give me comfort. Ah, what are we really saying? And because scriptures have been so misused and misquoted and misapplied that they lost their value. So we've got to go back and dig up and find the value in the word so that it can give us comfort. So that when I read a scripture that says he's going to take care of me, I'm immediately comfort because that's God embracing me with his language. You got to go back and say, okay, God, I've lost affection for your word. Forgive me for that, but give me back the love that I once had for the word so that it will give me comfort and it will be my force again. The last one, discernment. Discernment can be defined as understanding, comprehension, and interpretation. This is a vital function in the life of a child of God. Without discernment, we cannot know what way to go, what decisions to make, when we need to repent, what we need to repent of, and when we need to surrender, when we need to wait patiently, and when we need to move forward. Discernment is a true gift from God. If we look at Solomon in 1 Kings 3, and this was after he was chosen to be king after his father, and he prays to God and confesses that he has no clue of what to do or how to do it. And he asks for a discerning heart to govern the people and to distinguish between right and wrong. And First uh, Kings 3 and 10 says, The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life, or wealth for yourself, 
nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. God wants us to seek wisdom above all else. In Psalms 119, 66, through 68. It says, now teach me good judgment as well as knowledge for your laws are my guide. I used to wander off until you punished me. Now I closely follow all you say. You are good and do only good. Make me follow your lead. Uh, verse 125, for I am your servant. Therefore, give me common sense to apply your rules to everything I do. Verse 169. Oh, Lord, listen to my prayers. Give me the common sense you promised. Hear my prayers. Rescue me as you said you would. Now, we're going to go to the Proverbs. Since he gave Solomon so much wisdom. Proverbs 4 and 5, it says, get wisdom and insight. Do not forget or ignore what I say. Do not abandon wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will keep you safe. Getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. Whatever else you get, get insight. Love wisdom and she will make you great. Embrace her and she will bring you honor. She will be your crown and glory. Proverbs 23 and 23. It says, buy the truth and sell it not. Not only that, but also get discernment and judgment, instruction and understanding. Proverbs 8 and 11. For wisdom is better than all the trappings of wealth. Nothing you could wish for holds a candle to her. I am Lady Wisdom, and I live next to sanity. Knowledge and discretion live just down the street. That's a nice one, isn't it? Yeah. If you want some sanity, you must find discernment. You got to be able to ask God, show me what this is really all about. Let me stop thinking I know, and let me find out what you're doing. Proverbs 2, 2 and 3, 3 through 8. It says, yes, beg for knowledge, plead for insight. Look for it as hard as you would for silver or some hidden treasure. If you do, you will know what it means to fear the Lord, and you will succeed in learning about God. It is the Lord who gives wisdom. From him come knowledge and understanding. He provides help and protection for those who are righteous and honest. And the last Proverbs, Proverbs 3 and 21. 
It says, my child, hold to your wisdom and insight. Never let them get away from you. They will provide you with life, a pleasant and happy life. You can go safely on your way and never even stumble. You will not be afraid when you go to bed and you will sleep soundly through the night. You will not have to worry about sudden disasters such as come on the wicked like a storm. The Lord will keep you safe. He will not let you fall into a trap. James 1 and 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with a divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. This is our problem. We are completely unstable. We want the Jesus, but I want my own way. I believe Jesus, but I can't see Jesus. He's got a plan that I he ain't quite revealed to me, so my plan's going to have to work in the meantime. It says you cannot expect anything from the Lord. So you can pray all night. And why hasn't he delivered? Because you are unstable. And you don't have faith. And you have now tied the good Jesus hand to be able to deliver you. And then we mad at Jesus. We need to be mad at ourselves. And I need to humbly repent and ask God to help me to find some faith so that he can give me the good things. Humility, repentance, surrender, patience, and discernment, they all overlap and intersect. We truly need all five if we're going to please God. Ask God to change your heart towards these virtues. Like I said before, this is a day-by-day -day walk. This is not something you do one shot and think you got it. This is every day you trying to work on this stuff. We only need these five virtues one day at a time. So we're going to just concentrate on today. Tomorrow, if we be here, we concentrate on tomorrow. Enjoy each victory you win and when you stumble, because you may stumble, humbly repent, surrender back to God, patiently wait for him to come through, and find the wisdom and discernment in each lesson. It's just you fostering that relationship with God. You got to start talking to him. Not so much telling him stuff, but maybe you need to ask him some questions so that he can give you some insight. I hope this opens you up to seeing how big God really is. Like he really wants greatness for us. We are living so underneath what he has for us 
just because we don't believe. You know, our little lack of faith, which is not little at all, but our lack of faith has what stumped our whole growing process. You know, we had enough faith to get saved. You know, fingers crossed that this was really the right way. And, you know, God really was convicting me and showing me how to do his way. And then somehow we lost it in the interim. It's just we've fallen apart, really. We've gotten comfortable with this thing called Christianity. And that's all we are is just comfortable now, but we're not growing. And God wants us to continue to flourish. He wants us to continue to find him in new levels, new glories, new dimensions. Don't be so satisfied with where you are. Keep looking for the more. Keep trying to get better. Keep trying to get closer to him. Don't be content to say, okay, now I'm saved. I won't go to hell. I mean, it should be much bigger than hell. Like it should be like you want him. I mean, because you are saying you want to spend eternity with him. Do you really? That's a long time. Or is it just the alternative is a little terrible, so you choose heaven because it's a better alternative? Your motivations. You got to know what your motivations are. If your motivation is just to miss hell, you will do what it takes to kind of miss it. Fingers crossed that you you got it right, and he's going to take just that much to heaven. You don't know. None of us really know.